We can all thank Humaira Achter, a previous podcast guest, for introducing me to Vince Warnock. My favorite part about speaking with Vince was that he was just so candid. How cool is it that he went from being a radio announcer to being named a Fearless 50, Adobe's recognition of the top 50 marketers in the world? Let's get into it. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Defiant Business Podcast, and I'm your host, Ruthie Bowles, founder of Defy the Status Quo, a branding and marketing consultancy. This podcast is for the business owners and professionals who have seen the status quo in their industry and are ready to do things differently. We're here for the contrarians, mavericks, and rebels. On the Defiant Business Podcast, we'll talk about marketing, sales, client and customer experiences, finances, and amazing entrepreneur journeys that show that none of us are alone. Thank you for joining me. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Defiant Business Podcast. I'm your host, Ruthie. And today I have a friend of a friend with me, if you will. Today, I've got Vince Warnock with me. And I'm super excited to interview him. Vince, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Ruthie. I am looking forward to this. Yes, this is going to be brilliant. So just to kind of set the stage, I'm going to go ahead and share your bio with our listeners so they understand exactly the type of caliber of professional that you are and the type of heat that you'll be bringing today. So Vince Warnock is an award-winning business and marketing strategist, coach, author, and host of the Chasing the Insights podcast. He's an ex-radio announcer with over 20 years in marketing. Vince has been recognized by his peers with numerous awards, including being named a Fearless 50, which is a program designed by Adobe to recognize the top 50 marketers in the world who drive bold, fearless marketing and digital transformation. Previously, the CMO, that's chief marketing officer at Cigna, Vince has founded multiple companies, including the Chasing the Insights Academy, where he empowers entrepreneurs and business owners to make sense of marketing and grow the business they have always dreamed of. Boom. (laughs) I'm going to hire you to just go around and introduce me everywhere. That sounded awesome. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I, I'm feeling I'm feeling very complimented. I, I will tell you, you know, people don't always believe me, but then I throw them all the way back to like a season two episode of the podcast. Yeah. And I'm like, I used to sound completely different. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's the bio. That's just a small slice, right? Like of the person that, that you are. So anybody who's interested you know, he's he's got the Chasing the Insights podcast, of course, and you can always check out his website to learn more about Vince or find him on LinkedIn. We've got those links in the show notes. But to start, we're going to, you know, peek behind the professional curtain here a little bit. And Vince, do you have any hobbies? Hobbies? Oh, my goodness. Heaps. Um, so I'm a giant nerd. The first thing you'll realize about me, I'm a massive nerd. So I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I'm a huge Marvel fanboy. I read comics like they're going out of fashion. Um, so I'm addicted to any of that kind of stuff. In fact, tonight when we're recording this, I'm off to go and see the new Spider-Man movie. So I'm very, very overexcited about that. Mm. So that is a hobby because of my passion for Star Wars. I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm gonna paint a very lame picture about myself here. I realize now. You've just. You've just sold me with the bio as this super professional person. But now I'm gonna let people know that to celebrate launching uh, my first academy intake, I bought myself a toy lightsaber, as in like a really fancy looking one. And 
I play with that. That's one of my hobbies, literally playing with the lightsaber. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of whiskey. I collect a lot of whiskeys and single malt scotches and really enjoy that. But also with my wife, uh, we've been married for almost 27 years now. And one of the things we like to do is we like to do different kind of things. So we used to do like Japanese tie-dyeing. We used to do taiko drumming. We always try new different hobbies together. Uh, we did pole dancing together, which is way That's more cool. fun and, and less embarrassing than it sounds. And at the moment, we are signing up for salsa classes. Ooh. So we're going to do some salsa dancing. So yeah, I've had, a, honestly, so many hobbies. We just like to keep things different and like to challenge ourselves and try new things. That's amazing. So one of my my love languages, right, is is quality time. But between me and my husband, like I'm the adventurous one. And so we've both just kind of accepted that he's kind of more of a homebody. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's his role. He kind of keeps me grounded. But my role is to make sure that he doesn't go, you know, a whole 365 days not experiencing anything new. And so I'm the person who will like book <laughs> tickets to things or whatever. Yes. And then he'll go, right? Because he's like, I want you to be happy. Yeah. I, I'm happy when you're happy but then we do it and yeah. he's like those that, that was cool like you know and he's like yeah, yeah, he's yeah. all about it but don't worry yeah, ironically i'm i'm that person i'm the adventurous one you know I, i'm a i'm a high extrovert i love being around other mm -hmm. people so any chance we're around other people i love that my wife is a high introvert so she would just like sit and read in a book at home yes but she was the one that challenged me to do pole dancing because i knew that she really wanted to try mm -hmm. it because it looked like a lot of fun and her birthday was coming up and i thought right I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check and see if she really did want to do this. So I rang up, there's a pole dancing studio here, and I rang them up and said, hey, uh, look, you know, first of all, I want to get my wife this present, you know, just get her like three classes, something like that. And they said, yep, sure. And I said, but I know that she's not going to want to do this alone. So do you have guys that do pole dancing? And they went, oh, yeah, all the time. And I went, oh, great. Okay, well, sign me up as well. You know, so I did it for my wife. Um, went to, the funniest thing though is gave it to my wife. She thought it was hilarious. We signed up, we went to the class. First class we go and the owner who I was talking to was sitting there at the reception and she goes, oh, by the way, Vince, I meant to tell you. And I went, yeah. And she goes, when I said all the time, what I meant to say was from time to time, actually, occasionally. And then she went, well, to be honest, you're the only guy here. And I was like, oh, damn it. I got totally duped. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was the most, I was the skeptic there. Um, Leanne really wanted to try it. I was like, I just don't know that I'm going to enjoy this. I enjoyed it way more than I thought. It's great exercise, but the atmosphere there and the people and the acceptance, and it was just something I had never really experienced before in, in a kind of hobby like that. So yeah, great fun. That's awesome. That's definitely something I want to try. We don't have any studios super close by. Definitely something I want to try. And no worries about being a nerd, right? Like I have <laughs> my VR headset right here and I do work in it and I play and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm getting ready to have some meetings in it. Like, so yeah. Total, nice. total nerd over here too. So no worries yeah. about that at all. That was awesome. You said it was going to be interesting. I had no idea that you were going to drop like pole dancing. But, you know, to be fair, Cirque du Soleil. Cirque oh, du Soleil. I know, I know. Right? Like well, those guys, yeah. they're all about yep. it. So I'm, one of, I'm one all about it. One of my favorite things to do at the gym, one of my favorite things to do at the gym, we do, uh, so we go to a, uh, a bar-based gym. So as in like ballet. So a lot of the stuff is founded in, in the exercise they do with ballet dancers and things. So it's, Full on, like it's one of the That's best awesome. workouts you can do. But one of the best classes there is anti-gravity yoga. It literally is Cirque du Soleil. You're just in these hammocks upside down, doing these inversions, and it's fun. I thought it was really gimmicky at first. I thought, oh, this is, you know, you'll never catch me doing that. Then you totally caught me doing it. Um, and then I came away from the first session, though, and you would walk out of there feeling taller, feeling stretched out. You just felt alive and amazing. I'm like, okay, there's something to this. So 
Yeah, Cirque du Soleil, I'm a big fan. Well, it sounds like that gym should hire you, but that makes sense because you've got all these years <laughs> of marketing. You really captured it, right? So speaking of... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get into marketing? Like you are this award-winning marketer, like, you know, well-recognized. Yeah. And how did you get into it though? Oh my goodness. Um, by mistake, in all honesty. Um, so That's what I, I like to trained, hear. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. As, as a child, so quick background on my... I don't... Uh, talk too much about my childhood because it was not very nice. But I grew up in poverty. I grew up in an abusive household. Um, but I had no role models. I had nothing, right? So I had to learn to fend for myself. So my first ever business was when I was age 11. And that was um, that was actually copying Commodore 64 games because they were all on cassette tape. I, I had no idea. Don't judge me on this because I had no moral compass. Um, and no one talking into my life that could say this is wrong. Um, but I realized you could copy these games. So I would copy them and sell them to people. It basically made enough to be able to fend for myself. But then fast forward, I was such a technology nerd. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be either either the guy that made the gadgets for Batman or the guy that made the gadgets for James Bond. I just wanted to make gadgets. I thought it was, I was fascinated by it. So I studied and trained as a electronics computer and software engineer. I did all three disciplines and then left, left my training, left my, uh, you know, left our um, Central Institute of Technology went into the world, big wide world working in that setting. I was in a lab with a long lab coat. Uh, back then I had hair. I had really long hair and a long goatee and this white lab coat wow. designing plant growth chambers and incubators. And then I realized very quickly, I am bored out of my brains. I hated <laughs> it. I mean, I love the technology aspect of it, but I need to be around people. People are what fascinates me. And even through mm-hmm. all of my journey in childhood and that, um, it was understanding people that helped me to survive. It was understanding and getting inside the mind of people that really helped me to get where I was. So so I had this fascination with psychology. So there I was, Altrance engineer, on the side, studying psychology and studying the behavioral uh, behavioral aspects of people. And then, and then did a weird career shift. <clears throat> One of my dream jobs was always to work on radio. I think when I was seven when I built my first crystal radio set and we used to listen to all these DJs. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, they get paid to play music, to chat with these other cool people and to take calls. And this must be the dream job. So later in life, I actually got the dream job and it was amazing except for the pay. (laughs) The pay was terrible. Right. So I used to do web design on the side as a way to kind of complement my income. Uh, And then I started getting into other aspects of web design. And I remember being at a bar and I was sitting there and we were chatting with these people and and they brought some friends along and one of them had said, oh, Man, I'm so frustrated. They had had this video built. It was like uh, they paid a million dollars for this incredible video. And they said, and all we wanted was a way to turn that into something really interactive. And we don't know how to do that. So we've been to the agencies and they're all going to charge us half a million dollars to, to do this, but we're already blowing the budget out. So we don't know what to do. And I sat there and I was cocky. I had a few drinks. I'm like, oh, whatever. I said, I could do that for like, and I just pulled a number out of the air. I said, $50,000. And I built it in a weekend. And they went, okay. I went, uh oh. Uh, and that's when I realized I had put my foot in it big time. Uh, so I went away from there and realized the reason that these agencies charge so much money was because it hadn't been done before. And I thought, well, if it's not been done before, then I get to set the rules. So I got to think really different. So instead of building something bespoke, I actually looked at how can we can use like YouTube? How can we use these different technologies that are out there and add these layers on top of it? So, so I managed to do that, submitted a piece of work to them, got paid, which was awesome. They loved it. Then I didn't realize they had entered it into some awards. And they came back to me and they said, oh, Vince, we are the finalists in the International W3 Awards. And I went, oh, wow. And they said, well, they want us to fly to Vegas. Do you want to come with us? 
And my first instinct is, hell yes. But then I'm looking at it going, is this wise use of money? And I said to them, well, who are we up against? They said, Sony, Heineken, American Airlines. I think American Express was in there and there was one other as well. And I went, okay, well, first of all, we have no shot. We are not going to win those awards, right? But it's so cool to be nominated and we can take that, we can claim that. Um, so we didn't fly to Vegas and it turns out I was very, very wrong. Not only did we win most of the golds there, we actually won best in show over all the competitors. And to make it even worse, and this was the salt that was rubbed so firmly into my wounds right then, was they said, oh, Will I Am was the guy that was giving out the awards. And I love Will I Am. I love the Black Eyed Peas. I was like, oh, you're kidding. I would have got to hang out with them. So that's when I learned if you go to, if you're nominated for an award, go to the damn award show. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Well, oh, my yeah. goodness. But that's when I realized, Ruthie, that this combination of um, technology and people like behavior is basically marketing and it's particular in particular is digital marketing so i discovered i was actually really good at this understanding the behavior of people and bringing that to life through uh, you know websites or uh, apps and, and campaigns and things like that as well so so that was the natural transition for me they then offered me a job and i was like wow i'm fine doing my freelancing work and then they wrote a number on a piece of paper slid it across to me and said will you come join us i looked at the number and went yeah, that's going to be an awkward conversation with my wife if I turn that down. So right, I yeah. joined, joined their team and, and that just started this whole other aspect of my career. And from there, I took a number of roles and then I would move from that into building my own company. My early companies were starter company, failure company, but then they started to get to the point where a starter company and, and then exit the company, like sell the company off. And I'd just come off the back of my largest acquisition. So we started myself and a friend of mine's co-founded a company called Common Ledger. We built that over three and a half years to an eight-figure exit, and which was an incredible and very, very stressful journey. But when I decided to move on from there, we also had all these people wanting to buy us. So then we, we sold the company. And that's when I joined the team at Cigna and became the chief marketing officer there. And for five years, I was at Cigna getting all the accolades, getting all the results, You know, turning around I think we went from seventh to second largest insurer in the time I was there. Mm -hmm. Took online sales, the thing everyone said you can't do. Took that from nothing to almost half their revenue and was getting recognition around the world, winning a slew of awards, published my first book when I was there, got recognized by Adobe, as you mentioned, as one of the top 50 marketers in the world. Everything about that was awesome. And yet I was miserable. Mm. And I remember sitting in my office feeling very... Uh, feeling very guilty, actually, because here I was going, okay, I'm incredibly unhappy, uh, incredibly unhappy with my job. And yet on paper, everybody would want this. So that made me feel very weird. And, yeah. and it led me to go, you know what? Uh, I'm not fulfilled. When you're at the C-suite level, you are literally treating everyone as a number or a dollar sign. So I was like, that's it. I need to make the easiest hard decision of my life. And transition from there, left in uh, uh, January 2020, so pre-COVID, left there with the focus on just becoming a full-time author, uh, which when you have ADHD, by the way, lasted about a week. And then I realized I'm, I'm going nuts. I need to write multiple <laughs> books. I need to launch a podcast. Oh, now I'm a marketing coach. <laughs> so all of this kind of stuff happened. But yeah, it's been a crazy and super enjoyable journey. Wow. That is amazing. That, yeah, that's quite the the role. And I know what it feels like to have the job on paper that should be absolutely yeah. perfect. And then you're just, you just admit to yourself, like there's, there's the admitting to yourself that you're not happy, but then also the guilt yeah, a bit, you know, where you're just like, seriously, like, what is it going to take to satisfy me? Like what is wrong with me? Well, th this was the problem. I'm looking at going, I'm literally at the pinnacle here. You know, I'm in a fortune 100 company as the chief marketing officer. I'm getting paid ludicrous amount of money. 
Um, and I'm getting, the, the doors were open to me. I could speak on any stage in the world, you know? Right. Um, and then finding myself, like, literally at the, the Adobe Awards thing, um, finding myself on stage with all of the people I look up to in the industry. And I'm like, I'm, and, and the funny thing is, I'm looking on stage at these other 24 people because they only announced the top 25. And I looked at these other 24 people there and go, I know every single one of these people and not one of them probably knows who I am. <laughs> so it was a really <laughs> weird feeling. But all of that, I should have been happy and I wasn't. I really wasn't. I was feeling so unfulfilled. And the reason for that, Ruthie, is really simple. I wasn't helping people. I wasn't, mm -hmm. uh, like, I was removed from the impact that I would make. And yeah. I'm the type of person where I just need to offer people the same opportunities that were offered to me. I need to give people the same support that was offered to me that got me to where I am now. And that to me, I mean, I still remember setting up the coaching business, which was unintentional. It was actually an accidental kind of transition because I ended up with all these people when COVID hit who went, hey, we'd love to help you with the book bins, but we've got no income coming in and we're freaking out. And we don't even know if we're going to exist in two months time. And that broke my heart. And I was like, I can't stand by and let that happen. So I got alongside them all, turned them all back to profitable pretty quickly and then had this weird bubbly feeling on the inside. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Oh, wait, it's, oh, it's that I feel fulfilled. Oh, that's been a long time coming. So yeah, it was a crazy feeling, but yeah. Well, that's awesome that you you followed the breadcrumbs, if you will. So yep. so speaking yep. of that, right? Like you've got your podcast and your company. They're both called Chasing Insights. So what yep. are the main ways that you help people catch those insights that they're chasing? <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. So one of the main ones is I help people to understand who they are. And this is what I find. So I have a group program, which is a, a six-month accelerator program for early-stage entrepreneurs. And one of the biggest challenges I realize is they're trying to differentiate themselves in market based on product or offering or service. And they're going, I'm trying to compete with all these other people while offering all the same things with maybe a slight little tweak in it. Mm -hmm. But what they forget is that people don't buy based on that. They don't buy based on the logical. They buy based on the stuff that happens in the Olympic system, the emotional aspect. They just buy based on their connection to you. So one of the things I help them do is to, to bring their story to life, to actually understand. I, I have this methodology I call the beats method, where we understand all the different beats of your life. We understand what those important ones were, one, the ones that you learned from, the ones that changed who you are, changed the way you do things. They're called your atomic beats. And then we go through and we work out your epiphany beat, which is that pivotal moment. And then from that, you can craft so many different stories and so many different ways to bring to life your personality to bring to life the value that you add to other people. And when they do that, um, their messaging, everything just aligns with that so beautifully. That's nine-tenths of the job done. Uh, and then they, they end up with a, a situation where it's not having to push, not having to strive or hustle and grind to get customers. It's that their customers come to them wanting to work that, with them. All right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but then uh, the other piece actually I do, Ruthie, is as that's the early stage mm -hmm. stuff. But I also do a lot of one-to-one -one client work, and really that's around helping people to position themselves as thought leaders. And it's one of the biggest challenges I saw. There's so many talented people out there, but they're not necessarily offered the same opportunities that others are. And you see people that are at levels that they don't necessarily deserve the accolades that they get, or they certainly don't deserve the recognition. And a lot of that's done off the back of really unethical stuff. Um, so one of the things I do is I teach people how to position themselves, like how to get booked with PR, how to get on podcasts, how to become an author. I've set up a publishing company that I have on the side to help people to become published authors, how to set up their own podcasts and things as well. But basically how to, how, how to make it that when people look at you, they go, you know what? That's somebody that I trust and that's somebody that I know knows what they're doing. Oh, I love that. 
Okay. All right. You know, so I think this ties, you know, my last question for, for this episode. Yeah. But what's your big vision for your company's impact on the world? Oh, my goodness. I have a very bold vision. Um, so I want to help as many entrepreneurs as possible get profitable. And that's one of the main things I do, um, mainly because I, th- I genuinely think entrepreneurship is a high calling. Um, and I really want to impact that in a number of different ways. One of them is around that profitability piece, because there's a huge amount of stress when you're starting out a company um, around trying to build a company while still get revenue in the door. But the other aspect there is I want to create um, this environment where entrepreneurs can be really emotionally honest with themselves and with other people as well. Um, and that is talking about the things that we don't talk about normally as entrepreneurs. Like no one tells you when you start out that, hey, by the way, this is going to be an emotional roller coaster. You're going to be an absolute mess. You're going to have days where you're crushing it and like everything's going fine. You got all these new clients coming in. You got all the testimonies. You're getting all these, I, I had this once, sitting in the car listening to all these voice messages on Facebook, just going, oh my goodness, you got tears streaming down your face because you've impacted so many people. And then the next day you wake up and go, I can't do this. I'm such a fraud. I, I, I can't get out of bed. Why am I doing that? I, I can't face the day. And people don't tell you that that's actually part of the normal roller coaster ride. They don't tell you mm-hmm. about imposter syndrome. They don't tell you about the self-doubt. They don't tell you about comparing yourself to everybody else, which, by the way, is such a weird thing for us to do because we're not comparing ourselves with someone. We're actually comparing ourselves with our interpretation of someone. Yeah. Nine times out of ten is actually wrong anyway. So I want to create an environment where we're heart-centered entrepreneurs, so real entrepreneurs who just genuinely want to impact people, can build a profitable business, can be themselves within that, and can get the emotional support that they need through that as well. And then the secondary thing I'm really trying to do with a lot of the work I do is really, and it's going to tie into our next episode, but is to challenge a lot of the industry around ethics in marketing and around morality. Yes. Yes. I am really excited about our next episode when you and I, right, we had our like kind of first get to know you call. That was a topic we just immediately... Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It was, it was absolutely we so wonderful to know somebody <laughs> yeah. with your experience too. So I'm, I'm on the other end of the spectrum where, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on like four and a half years of experience in the marketing space, right? Previous career in government intelligence. But, you know, I'm yeah. like, is, does nobody else see what's happening? You know, and I, and I talk to people and they're, they're kind of at my level, right? Where we're like, we've been doing this for, for some years and, and they see it, but I'm like, but what about other people, right? Like people like Vince who have been doing this for, you know, quite some time. And so it's just so validating to hear that you see it too. So I'm not going to give it away because that's our next episode, but (laughs) so tempting. Yeah. But just again, Vince, thank you so much for, for agreeing to come on the podcast, to share your story. I think that that's so very important that people hear that it's not like just this super fast overnight rags to riches type of deal. You were right, like an, an overnight success that took 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I actually, Ruthie, I say 20 plus years, but that's because at 20 years, I decided to stop counting because it's embarrassing to admit how old I am. <laughs> so it's probably closer to 30 years All now. Right. But yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, and this is a big mistake we make is we look at other entrepreneurs and we think, oh man, they have instant success without realizing the pain, the heartache, the, the tears, the blood, the sweat that went behind what they're doing and the amount of failures that they had before that as well mm-hmm. that they learned from. And, and we really do need to reframe failure as an entrepreneur. It's not failure, it's a learning experience. Anytime you have something that doesn't quite go well, there's so many insights that you can gain out of that, so many things that you can learn that'll make your next attempt 
so much more valid and so much more successful. Yes, absolutely. Reframing success, I am all here for it. Reframing success, reframing failure, I'm here for it for sure. All right. So that is our first episode with Vince. So definitely check out his links in the show notes. You know, wherever you find this episode, ask your questions, reach out, uh, even if it's just to to say that something resonated with you. You know, we're definitely here for that. And be sure to join us next week for Vince and I's conversation around heart-centered marketing and ethics and morality in marketing. Vince, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Ruthie. listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Defy the Status Quo Biz, and the link is in this episode's description. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.